0: Hi, and welcome to The Beagle Has Landed. This is your host, Laura Hersher. This is a special edition of The Beagle Has Landed, where we're going to be talking about that new American pastime, discovering lost relatives. How did we get here? Uh, it was like that Hemingway quote about how you go bankrupt, slowly and then all at once. Um 15 years ago, there was one story on the BBC about a boy tracking down his sperm donor dad using Y-chromosome data from an ancestry test, and that was just a crazy one-off story, and we all said, goodness, and what a clever lad, and we had better look into this. And a few years later, a couple of papers were published saying, gee whiz, we should worry about privacy because one of these days, this is really going to be an issue. (laughs) And then, bang. Bang. So, you know, one thing about working in genetics is that that is a bit like Jurassic Park. And unfortunately, it is not the dinosaurs. We don't have any dinosaurs. But the feeling that you are always a little too late in imagining the consequences. Stuff happens so fast, for better and for worse. And also, because you never know which of the safe-looking dinosaurs will suddenly sprout a giant uh, neck frill and spit poison in your eye. So genealogy... That sleepy little corner of genetic testing, which we didn't worry about because it just shied away from anything with medical significance and it was just for fun, has turned the world upside down for thousands of families. My guest today, Keith Augustine Adams, has come to explore what that looked like for her family. Keith is the Ivan Metis Chair and Professor of Law at Brigham Young University Law School, her research focuses on the intersection of citizenship, immigration, gender, and race on women's rights and human rights in the context of immigration and citizenship with a focus on history. Reading through the titles of the papers on your CV, Keith, I get the sense that you are like one part law professor and one part historian.
1: I've always loved history and um, the opportunity to connect history with the law has been a lot of fun for me. I've also been always interested in family history and genealogy from the time I was very little. My um, dad was looking for the village in Poland that his great-grandfather came from and uh, making connections with a family that he didn't know on, on his Polish side. And so we've always been interested in doing what we can to sort of chart out the family the family story. On my mom's side, um, that family history and genealogy had been done uh, because she comes from a long line of Mormon pioneers and that, that uh, religion has a real focus on family history. And um, so I've tried to integrate both my family and my love of history and, and the law. Yeah, I,
0: actually, the, the Mormon genealogy um, has an honored place in the history of genetics because we used it to discover uh, BRCA, well, not to discover BRCA1 and 2, but to learn more about the breast cancer genes and other genes. It's, a, it's, been, a, it's been a resource.
1: And my mom's family is actually in the Utah population database that has been used to do a lot of uh, genetic research. Her family line includes uh, the Christensen family, which had uh, a significant role in helping identify the long QT syndrome gene. Um, And so she had cousins growing up that uh, because of the long QT syndrome problem would just people would faint and, and pass away, uh, die. And so the, uh, the, their contributions through the Utah Population um, Database has helped identify and provide um, at least information to people about that genetic, genetic risk which runs in our family.
0: Wow, that's really interesting and um, very cool public service part of your genealogy, and probably a story you'd be more comfortable sharing here today than the one you are sharing. Um.
1: Yeah, so the the story that I'm sharing today is... um, So first, let me say, what is it about... Tell us about
0: your family. You have a lot of siblings. You come from a big family. I have a
1: lot of, yes. I come from a a Latter-day Saint family that goes back to the very beginnings of the the Latter-day Saint church and that restoration movement and some of the original pioneers moving to Salt Lake, um, the Salt Lake Valley, and then moving up into Brigham City. So my mom comes from this family of... Mormon pioneers and Danish converts, the christiansen line and and really sort of some of the top aristocracy and mormondom of of the time. Um, my mom grew up in Brigham City, which is in the northern part of uh, of utah uh, she She herself grew up in a family that had sort of moved away a little bit from Mormonism they didn't participate as much, although she had those very strong links, and but she part of their movement away from uh, active participation in the Latter Day Saint traditions meant that she herself became more orthodox and more or- orthopraxis. Um, there are eight kids in my family: um, my oldest sister, and then me, and then five boys, and then my youngest. And my youngest sister, and um, although my mom and our family, when my uh, we we grew up uh, around the United States in Utah and Colorado and uh, Oregon and um, and Louisiana, but um, that core uh, Wasatch Front family is where we came every every summer to connect up with my with my mom's family.
0: And have you been close with your parents and your siblings as an adult?
1: Yes. um, Very, very close, especially, um, especially to my mom. Uh, My dad had uh, Alzheimer's and he passed away last, uh, last October. And that, um, so I wouldn't say I was particularly close to him because of the ravages of, uh, of alzheimer's and how uh that affected our family as as well. Mm. So, yeah, to my mom and to my siblings, yes, quite quite close. My oldest sister lives in New Zealand with her family um but comes over every year or so and and my youngest sister lives a couple miles from me and we um we do a lot we do a lot together as as family. Nice and talk a lot.
0: So, what was the what was the first thing that happened that brought your attention to?
1: Um, so, we had an exchange student living with us, an exchange student from Ecuador, and she was looking for her biological grandfather. Her uh, mother had never known her her father, and so Bernarda came and was staying with our family, and I love family history and working with the ancestry databases and so i said let me see what i can do (laughs) and as part of that um, with the permission of of bernarda's parents we suggested an ancestry dna test and because bernarda and my youngest daughter were um, about the same age i said well why don't you two do why don't you both do a dna test bernarda's parents said sure and um, that sounds good. Her mother was really interested and excited at the possibility of potentially finding her biological father. Uh, and so both of the girls did the DNA test, and um, we uh, you know then I, I spent a lot of time and not through but not the DNA test, but through the ancestry databases and the name I had, I was able to. Identify her biological grandfather and eventually connect her mother up with some um, with some half siblings. Uh, cool. Over the course of time, uh, as the ancestry results sort of sat in front of me on my um, on my daughter's DNA test. I mean, I didn't take a DNA test. <laughs> um, um, you know, the, this match. Was there that I didn't really pay a lot of attention to. Uh, And then. What what did it say? It said. uh, So ancestry divides matches up into uh, parent child and then close family to first sibling, uh, I mean to first cousin, Mm -hmm. and then first to second cousin, and then it, it goes. It, different levels of cousinness. And that doesn't actually express, except for the parent-child relationship, it doesn't actually express an actual relationship. It's just estimating the probability of a relationship based on the shared centimorgans and shared segments of, of DNA. And so this this match to my, um, to my daughter was a match uh, that was in the um, – close family to first cousin relationship. And so at one point I just said, because I, I was paying attention to so many other things in terms of family history, but not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one uh, one Sunday afternoon I uh, thought, huh, I should follow up on, on that match. I don't know who that is. And I know who most of the other matches are. Um, this is a person who matches to my daughter, but not to any of my daughter's cousins, or family on my husband's side. So I sent through the Ancestry messaging system, I sent a message that said, hi, um, through Ancestry it looks like uh, we, we match up, That and based on the shared matches, I think it's along the Nichols or the Rosenbaum lines, do any of those names ring a bell for you? And the match wrote back, uh, "Yes, I see that we I match with uh, Isabel, my daughter, and I also see a match with Nathan, my brother, but I don't see a match to you." And you know what? And so why would that be? Um, and I wrote back and said, "Oh yeah, I had these ancestry." kits that I parceled out among family members. And I didn't actually, um, I haven't taken one myself, but I'm the most active person on ancestry. And so I figured that if you match my daughter and you match my brother, that we have that same level of relationship. And, um, the match wrote back, well, I think you should start with Rochelle. Rochelle. Um, I'm happy to tell you what I know, but I think you should start with with her. Um,
0: uh, who's Rochelle? Sorry.
1: And Roche- Rochelle is my mom. Uh. And I'm starting to think at this point, well... I'm starting to speculate about all the possibilities of relationships. Did my grandpa have, you know, did grandpa have a late life fling? Did one of my aunts um, have a a, a child? Um, my mom comes from a family of five sisters. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom was always the the good one, the 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 daughter who always tried to do everything that she thought was right. And so I wrote back to the match and said, okay, but I'd love to hear what you know. And sorry, I get a little, um, you know the, just the shock of the of the moment she wrote back and said i was born in seattle in august of 1960 and the name on my birth certificate is and then she gave my mother's full maiden name wow and i just started shaking and i stood up from the computer and, you know, walked into our bathroom where my husband was showering and I just opened the bath, you know, the glass shower door and I walked right in and just collapsed against him and just said, she's my sister. She's my sister. And, um, uh, you know, it was just, uh, based on, 50 some odd years with my mom, it, it would never in a million years have occurred to me that I might have. Right. It a sister. Make,
0: it didn't make or, any sense. And she was a couple, it didn't a, a make, it years didn't older make than any you? sense.
1: A, a yeah. Little, she was, she was, uh, f- uh, four years, almost four years older than almost exactly four years older than I am. Um, and, I mean, just the, the complete shock was, was. I mean, I could, I, and then I went back to the computer, and I just, shaking, I said, can I call you? And I typed my phone number in, and I typed the wrong phone number, and I had to, <laughs> sorry, this little, is It's a little
0: Freudian, <laughs> the wrong phone number.
1: <laughs> and then, um she sent me her phone number, and I called her. And and she had known about us for some time. This was all happening in 2017. And uh, she had contacted the confidential intermediary under Washington law, In 2013, who had actually sent a letter to my mom? Um,
0: Who's the confidential intermediary?
1: Yeah, so under Washington law, up in from about 1993 to 2013, um, you could have a. So my mom placed my sister for adoption in Seattle in 1960, um, and the law at the time offered complete—it sealed the records of the adoption. And and so it was a sealed adoption, and the uh, adoptee could not get the original birth certificate. They could get some basic non-identifying information, but that, that was all. And in 1993, Washington State changed its laws, and it allowed— a confidential intermediary appointed by the court had either the adoptee or the birth parents' request to contact the other party and see if they were amenable to um, contact with the. I see. With The other party, and so this confidential intermediary had contacted my my mother, and my mother had had told Janet she. Didn't want, um, didn't want contact. She had answered some of the basic medical information, but didn't want contact. And then in 2013, Washington changed its law again such that uh, birth records were no longer closed no matter when the adoption had occurred, and a birth parent had a year to file a, uh, an affidavit saying that they wanted to keep the records closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom didn't do that because my mom didn't know <laughs> that, the, that the law had changed. And so Janet had contacted the confidential intermediary. My mom had said no. But then after the law changed, because my mom didn't file an affidavit, um, the her birth, uh, Janet was able to get a copy of her original birth certificate, which is where, she got my mom's, my mom's name.
0: So she had your mom's name, but in effect, mm-hmm. she was respecting the wishes she was, that had been, had been passed
1: along to her. Exactly. She was so respectful through the whole, through the whole experience. Um, my mom had said no contact. And so she didn't, she didn't contact her. And, Janet had of course seen the ancestry matches um to my daughter and to my brother and she did not reach out and when I contacted her the first thing she did was say you ought to start with somebody else you ought to start with your mom not not with me and you know twice she said that to me and I just forged ahead forged ahead because it never occurred to me what the reality of the situation might be.
0: Right. Right. Well, of course, of course. I mean, what could, what could possibly be an area less likely for rethinking than the impression you have of 50 odd years with your own mother? I mean, you know, um, you, there's, if if you know that person inside and out and if there's no reason to be suspicious, you have no index of suspicion at all. Um, yeah. So here you are. You have this stunning piece of information. You know your mother has turned down this request. You also know that your brother has, like there's other ways somebody could find this out. It's not necessarily yeah. going to stop with you. And uh, you're sitting with this information. What did you... What were your thoughts? What did you think you would, should do with it?
1: Well, I knew I had to talk with my mom, mm-hmm. um, that that I had to go over to her house. And so I, you know, I dried off and I <laughs> – and That's a I, very cinematic moment, by the way, <laughs> walking
0: into the shower of Holy Club, That is a very cinematic moment.
1: And I um, practiced with my husband, what I should say. Um, And I went to my parents' house. This is about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock on a Monday morning. And I'd been visiting them a lot because of my dad's declining health and declining mental state. Um, And I didn't know if he knew. And so I needed to figure out a way to talk to my mom. So I arrived with chocolate bar in hand and I said, I brought you this chocolate bar, let's go look at the rhubarb in your backyard, because my mom had rhubarb and I love rhubarb and and so I drew her away from my dad because if he didn't know, um I didn't wanna I didn't wanna risk Angering him and the sort of outbursts that could could happen and so we went out into the backyard and as um, so we approached the rhubarb, I just turned to my mom and said mom i you know I learned this morning through ancestry DNA about the baby, wow. and she just froze." <laughs> she froze and then she just started saying i was so naive i was so naive i was so naive and she told me that um thanksgiving weekend of 1959 she had gone home from brigham city to her apartment in ogden utah that she shared with a bunch of people um a bunch of women but none of them were there and her air force boyfriend Had come over and she let him into the empty apartment and she kissed him. And when she realized what was happening, she protested and tried to push him away and said no. Um, And he raped her. Although that, of course, is not the word she used. When she um, finished telling me, I said, Mom, that's rape. That's date rape. And she just said, we didn't call it that back then. And she said, we, um, I've done everything I could to repent to because she considered it sin, you know, under the, uh, the strictures of the culture in which she grew up, that Charged women with setting the boundaries of sexual propriety, and um, she, she thought she had breached those, and it was it was her fault. You know, you don't, you shouldn't have kissed him. You shouldn't have let him into your empty apartment. You knew that the women you were living with didn't have the same standards you did. Um, just on and on and on, um, and she carried that with her for fifty seven years because. I was the first person she told about how my sister came to be, about how she had conceived this child. Um, do you, do she like she interact
0: with her that you were able to shake any of that, like you saying, "This is rape, this wasn't your fault. Did that have any impact on your mom?:
1: Not immediately. Um, I hope over, over time, over time, it has, um, she, uh, you know, I just said to her, she said, I, I knew better. I should have done better. I should have not lived in that apartment. I should have not let him in. I should have not, you know, kissed him. uh just, you know, she really took, it is her her fault, and so over the course of you know several months, I um, would keep saying to her, "It's not your fault. It's not your fault. There's nothing for you to repent of." Um, but she was still so ashamed, so so ashamed. I mean, she and she only told a, a really small, small handful of people. About about the pregnancy itself, she uh, told her older older sister, who was a half sister, um, because when she left Utah to go to Seattle to have the to have the baby, she um, thought she might die in childbirth, and so she wanted at least somebody to know. Wow. She told my dad. And she told church leader. Um, she she did tell the um, the rapist boyfriend, um, and he said, "I'm getting transferred." So it's not clear to me that he ever knew that she actually went ahead and had had the baby. Um, but um, you know, this is all happening in a time frame of. Some Me Too, but it's also happening in the time frame when people at my, women at my home institution of Brigham Young University were challenging some of the rules and the honor code and and how the um, interaction between the Title IX office and the honor code office was, was harmful. And even in the... 21st century, women were being treated as if it was their fault when sexual assault happened, and and not just women, but um, men as well. Um, And so it was really interesting for me as a professor at BYU to be having this experience with my mom and then the same kinds of issues – 50 years later. Um, yeah, because you, you can use words
0: like internalized and stigma and shame. And, you know, they, they're they words. They're just words. Um, and this kind of story is where it all comes alive, you know, when you hear people talk.
1: Yeah. Um, and,
0: and you say 50, almost 60 years, right? Almost right. 60 years. And uh, she's been sitting with this. Um, powerful enough that 50 something years later she still couldn't face this this daughter
1: and and she couldn't so i i talked to her and she doesn't want to have she still doesn't want to have contact with um with my sister and she also asks me who knows and and, and it was my daughter's DNA test, but my daughter, you know, never went on Ancestry and didn't look at things and wasn't obsessed with the detective work of figuring things out. Um, and and wasn't sort of it wasn't involved. And in, but my daughter didn't know, and so my mom wanted to know who besides me, and it was just my husband and me who knew because we were the only ones home at the time. Um, And I did say to my mom, you know, it's going to come out. My brother's DNA test is sitting there, although he pays more attention to dead people than living people. So uh, (laughs) on the family history side. um,
0: Yeah, but there's millions of people. I mean, you know.
1: There are millions of people. And we come from very, very large Latter-day Saint families. Um, I don't know how many cousins my mom has, but, you know, they're in the – probably a hundred cousins and people are taking DNA tests. And it was only a matter of time before somebody asked this unknown match. Who are you? And it turned out to be me. Right. Well, I,
0: I, so that was hard for you, right? That it turned out for you. How did you expect that conversation to go? Did you, did you, did the rape part come as a complete shock to you that it never crossed your mind that?
1: Yeah. It came as a complete, that part was, that, I mean, that's just, it's, it's your mom, right? Um, well, did you expect and, to find
0: out, like, my mom raised me so strictly, she's, you know, she's she's a religious person, she has such a clear sense of what is and isn't acceptable for her. Did you expect to be like, mom, you know, did you have a wilder childhood than I knew? I mean, what did what did you expect the conversation to be?
1: Um, I had pulled out her life story because as a, you know, as a good Mormon, a good Latter-day Saint, she had done her life story and I started going through it before I went talk to her. I said, I'm going to figure out who the father is because I'm thinking maybe it was this boyfriend or maybe it was this boyfriend. And I was going to be sort of, I mean, it, it's, it's intriguing. Um, and that seemed intriguing and kind of fun, right? So um, had you had you until you faced
0: her and she looked at you, had you sort of not fully co- figured the emotional cost for her? like did it come a yes. shock in that moment? like yeah, oh,
1: yeah. yes, completely. Um, and and it, she did not want to tell my siblings. And, um, that was very, very difficult for me because, you know, I was seeing my youngest sister a couple times a week or talking to other people on the phone. Um,
0: so here you were in the position that your mom had been in all these years with a secret to keep.
1: With a secret to keep, and you know, and I said it's going to come out, and so she was going to send an email to everybody, and then you know, this is that same week, and I just, and she said, I finally said to her when she was just about ready to send it the next day, I said, "Do you want to send this? Do you want to do this?" And she said, "No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to tell them." Um, and I said, "Well, then don't. You know, do whatever it is." that will bring you peace Uh, and I wanted um, I wanted despite the fact that I was the one who had breached the secret um, I, I wanted in some way to help her regain the control regain the autonomy that the rape took from her Um, and that what guarding this secret for her whole life had, um, had cost her. I mean, the challenge with that though, was that by not, by trying to respect her autonomy, um, I felt in some ways that I was contributing to, or, or saying, yes, this is shameful, this is something right. Right. That, you is, were, that you should hide. But I was complicit. You're validating
0: those feelings. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and during this period of time when you ha- you weren't telling the siblings, your mom was keeping this a secret, did you go ahead and get in touch with Janet?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I was in touch with Janet fairly frequently. I mean, we had the phone call and I we were emailing or texting and um, – I sent her a – oh, I ended up Facebook friending her. I mean, my mom is not on Facebook, and she wasn't on Facebook, she told me, because she didn't want Janet to find her. (laughs) Um, But so, yeah, I was in touch with her, you know, some, and telling her that, you know, my mom still – didn't want contact and I would have to be the sorry substitute. Did I, you
0: feel, did you feel, you know, getting to know her? Did you feel a sense of kinship with her? Did she have, she seem somehow familiar to you?
1: Um, not really. Um, uh, you know, she has a couple of mannerisms that are a little bit like some of my siblings, um, but we, you know, we live very different very different lives. Um, she's a cat person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, not that. So anyways, so, wait, so, so, I, um, I want to hasten to add for the audience, people listening, that we are not here betraying Keith's mother's confidence. We are not. She gave permission for her to come ahead and tell this story. So obviously yeah. things have changed over time. How long an interval was it before she said, okay, I'm ready to tell the family?
1: yeah so both my sister and my mother gave me permission to present this um, this discussion in a paper that I wrote at a at a conference. Um, um, it took from March t- until August um, and I was going over to my mom's house every day, calling on the phone every day reassuring her that all of us all of her eight children would love her and would continue to love her and would not think that she was hypocritical um and she was just so sad and one time I asked her are you sad because we know um and she said yeah and and because it happened um and you know, my husband reassured her. Um, I just tried to be supportive of her in whatever, however, however I could. Um, and she, you know, it just was still so very, very painful. And my dad's situation didn't make it, didn't make it easy, yeah. easier. Um,
0: yeah, she's and, dealing and, with a lot. Yeah.
1: And but her her whole life, you know, she was always worried about what other people thought and thought that people were talking about her. And um she told me that she thought that two of my one of my sisters in law and other sister had figured it out because one time when she walked into the room they stopped talking. <laughs> um but by but by August, gradually um she decided that she would share it. Um, And I thought it would be best. It didn't seem to me the kind of thing that one does via email, (laughs) (laughs) but that was what she was up to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she wrote, she wrote a letter to my siblings and, She also sent it to Janet, um, and she sent the email off, and in the email, you know, she said, she asked them not to contact her for a week. (laughs) No phone calls, don't come over. Um,
0: And did you do that? Did you not go there for a week?
1: No, I went. I went. I just, um, I showed up and I said, I figure, I hope that didn't apply to me because here I am (laughs) on Sunday morning. And I just sat on the back porch with her on the swing and just held her hand and she cried and cried and cried and cried. And was still so, so ashamed um, and afraid of judgment. So Um, you
0: didn't do this, but did you feel somehow implicated in making your mother sad? Did you
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, and she, uh.
0: And, you know, that's not fair to you, right?
1: Oh, it's. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, I went to a counselor. I mean, there was, there was no way I was gonna just hold that. I needed some sort of guidance and help and, and figuring out what to do. Um. But I thought also that the best way, having breached her privacy, um, that the best way to be supportive and helpful would be to encourage her to tell, to reassure her that none of none of her kids were going to be judgmental. Um,
0: and, and and has, and, she, and has she found that? Did. Has she has she has she experienced like has that? So I'm wondering this. Um, I know it feels like your mother's life would have been simpler if it never came out. But I wonder, is that true? Because, of course, your mother's always been sad, right, about this. It's just that you didn't know it. Right. These feelings she has of shame and sadness, they're new to you. They're not new to her. So do you feel in any way like having this come out in the end? despite the pain has possibly been better for your mother it's really a question i don't
1: i don't know yeah she was always really good at compartmentalizing <laughs> and putting putting it away um, and she was in part because of her own experience and she came from a family of five sisters four full sisters and then her older half sister And she did not want to have that sort of experience with her own children, sort of the fraught relationship between her older half-sister and my grandfather, um, and just the tensions and favoritism on her her mother's part, my grandmother's part for that older half-sister. And... Um, and she just thought it would be a complete, a complete disaster. Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think probably now my mom would say that she's at least okay that it came out. Um, but this is over two years, over two years later, Mm -hmm. um, Uh,
0: Do you think she'll ever get to a point where she wants to meet Janet?
1: Oh, so, (laughs) yes, you don't know this part. Um, I don't. Yeah, uh, we had a big family Thanksgiving in 2017, and I said, would it be okay if I invited Janet and her husband to Thanksgiving? So they came and four of the eight siblings, four or five of us were at the airport to meet her and my mom and my dad. Um, And one brother was assigned to sort of walk my dad back and forth and uh, who's getting fairly feeble, but, and he kept saying, why are we here? What are we doing? And, uh, we just explained that there were some people coming to visit from Seattle. And, um, I mean, so part of this, too, is that my, the sixth, actually, yeah, the sixth child in our family, one of my brothers, was born in the exact same hospital in Seattle 10 years later as my older older sister, as Janet, um, We lived in Seattle when my dad was getting his PhD at the University of Washington. Um,
0: Wow, that must have been incredible for your mother. I mean, just incredible. I really can't even imagine.
1: Right, right. Uh,
0: But she didn't say, no, I can't
1: do this. I have
0: to have this baby somewhere else. She didn't say that.
1: Yeah, she didn't. Uh, Um, But your so so we so we had this that family Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Janet and Ronnie were there, and a um, bunch a bunch of the nieces and nephews, and and you know that 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 was one of the challenges. My kids are all and we're all old enough, and that it wasn't it, it wasn't their first introduction to sort of sex, right and 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 violence um, in family, and that they they were mature enough to my youngest was sixteen or seventeen to sort of take it all in stride, but it was it was more challenging for my siblings with younger younger kids. Here's this new aunt and we have an aunt, right? <laughs> Somebody we've never met. And well, how did that happen? And and so particularly for some of my siblings who had daughters in the sort of the ten to ten to thirteen range, um, figuring out exactly what to to say without making without contributing to grandma's shame, right? But also without um sex being violence and rape all the time, um, or, you know, in this sort of initial discussion was, uh, was, was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really hard.
0: Yeah. No, no, those, that, that's, that's, it's, it's a hard way to introduce the subject. I, yeah. and so, so I, my mom- I myself had kids the age where the first time they heard about a lot of stuff was during the Clinton Lewinsky thing, and like it's, yeah. it's like you know sometimes sometimes you get to shoes and sometimes the life thrusts it at you, you know, <laughs> uh, and and it can be a parenting challenge for sure. I, I want to get to because we're we're running short on time, and I really want to get sure. to with you. So. What do you think having had this experience as a family and obviously there's some parts of it that are horrific and also there are some parts of it that are are lovely it's lovely that you connected with this half- sister and it clearly meant a lot to her um, she hung in there a long time waiting to hear from somebody um, so what 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 you know what do we do we can't really control it like what is there any takeaway from this that you feel like something should be different or something should be available or like like uh these databases they're not new and yeah. but the the tipping point of them having this incredible societal level effect um came suddenly and uh i don't i don't think we know um what we've lost and what we've gained and all that. I don't think we've come near sorting it out yet. So you have your slice of an incredible story from a particular family. And is there anything you come away saying, like, this would be better, that would be better?
1: Yeah, I think – and it's not – the first thing is not connected with the databases at all. The databases, genetic databases, genealogy, family history, world records databases – Um, It's connected with um, sexual violence, and the databases are a way of revealing information that we didn't have before. And I think it underscores the horrific effect of of sexual violence, and particularly in in my context um, of patriarchy and uh, men's exertion of power over women. And so if I wish something would be different, I wish it would be that our laws and our society respected women's autonomy and women's control of their bodies and women's choices in ways that even now we fail We fail to do. I wish that law and culture and religion um, recognized women more fully as human beings.
0: It's a frustration, Um, right? Because you and I, generationally, were sort of uh, in the same ballpark, a little younger than me. And um, I, I don't think there was any question growing up that it was so unfair, but I really, I really thought we were going to be better. Like I thought for my daughter and my daughter, my daughter's generation, I I thought it was going to be better. And so when I see the younger generation voicing so many stories of the same things, yeah, they are, yeah, they're not where our mothers were. Uh, They wouldn't Keep their mouth shut the same way and so on, but the internalized shame. The the it, it's so frustrating to, to hear this the same things echoed.
1: And and so I would say that sexual violence is bad, and secrets are bad, and that by and and, and they're bad because they give power to the wrong people. Um, and so by speaking out, by telling this story um and by taking away the shame by saying it's not your fault by saying even if you had done something problematic um or problematic from your your own point of view um it's okay right and
0: um you didn't
1: deserve taking you didn't deserve the consequences yeah. for yeah. making a
0: mistake you didn't do and so wrong
1: by, wrong by telling the secrets I see I hope that that is a way to reclaim some of the autonomy reclaim some of the power and the control and um, and turn that shame into something that can benefit others. And and ultimately, that was what I think helped my mom decide to tell her story. It was when I said to her, you could help your granddaughters. You could help your grandsons if you share
0: this story.
1: Well, please and And tell, that' all you from
0: me, and I think I'd speak on behalf of a lot of people who will be hearing this story that I deeply appreciate i i have I may not completely understand, but I have some sense of what it cost her to say yes to sharing this, and I think it it does it makes the world a better place um and going forward in the future, fewer people will keep a secret like that. more than 50 years because they think the world will judge them if it comes out. We're telling your mom's story here today, and everybody knows she shouldn't be judged, she shouldn't be blamed. This is one story, this is one little trickle that hopefully that there's a whole stream of these stories that come out and there has some power of changing the world. So please give her my appreciation.
1: Thank you. I
0: will. Um, And I'm... You know, what? I was sitting here thinking about this, I was so amazed at sort of, you know, here DNA is an information-carrying machine. Um, and we all talk about it all the time. That's our job. Talk about it. It's a cookbook. It carries the recipe for you. It's an information-carrying machine. But it's like, it carries so many stories, right? It carries the stories of, of like, ancient populations, if you compare it across the ages. And it carries stories like this, like, hidden in, in these, like, little pieces of... You know, DNA matching from family member to family member. It's like a haiku for this whole story. I was thinking yeah. of other stories, and, you know, well, like, that you put it together, but it was like this little poem that told your mom's story. It's, it just, I don't know, it amazes me, the power of it. And uh, I wish very good things for your family. I, I hope that all of this kind of ends up in a happy place.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today Uh, and uh, to my audience. Thank you, too, as always. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.